Paul wants their hearts to be encouraged, not souls, not, you know, not faith. You know, there's a, a real resonance for, for heart, particularly in Hebrew thought. Write these laws upon your heart, circumcise your heart. Hearts are always where the intention is so that you can be encouraged. He wants, he wants this community not to suffer or in despair, to be encouraged, being knit together so that we'll actually have some sort of sense of unity in, in what? Love. Love is not an emotion. Right? We've mentioned this before. Love's an action. Love is something you do, something you actually put into practice. Welcome to the Christ Church Jerusalem podcast, where we seek to gain a better understanding of the Hebraic context of Scripture. We're delighted that you're joining us this week for our latest Bible study episode. Our aim is to equip our listeners to wrestle with and deepen their understanding of the Word of God with a unique perspective that we bring from Jerusalem. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, to our um, Christchurch Bible study. We are studying the epistle to the Colossians, and we're in chapter 2. And uh, so wherever you're from, and, uh, and, and, and in any way that you're actually listening to this podcast, uh, we'd like to thank you for, your, for participating as our brothers and sisters. We consider you also to be friends and family. And um, so don't be strangers. Send an email, let us know what you think, make some comments, and, uh, and, uh, and don't keep your distance. All right. We're in the presence of the Lord, and his spirit is with us. First of all, we're going to do it through prayer. Brother David, could you pray us in to this time? The sovereign Father in heaven, almighty God, Father, we bless you. We glorify you. We exalt you. We thank you for this amazing privilege that we can all come together tonight to share your word, to learn your word, Father, to learn what you're teaching us tonight, Lord. We ask you, Father, to soften our hearts and to let our hearts be receptive to what you are showing us, what you are teaching us. Help us, Father, to go away from this teaching tonight, renewed in you, Father, and learning even more about you, having grown more and more and more in the knowledge of Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we bless Aaron and we thank you for his amazing faithfulness. We thank you for our brother Aaron, and we ask you, Father, to anoint him afresh, to strengthen him, Father, as he brings your word to us. We ask you, Father, to speak through him, Father, and to let our hearts hear him very clearly, Lord. We thank you for this amazing privilege of fellowship and learning together in your precious name. Amen. All right, guys, let's focus now on our task at hand, the epistle to the Colossians. And Paul is continuing his letter which uh, to a community that he has not visited um, and he's and, and uh, he links it with uh, the, the community just down the road literally nine miles away Laodicea whom he has also written to so it seems to be that um, uh, that these these apostles these leaders had been receiving reports of the community and their work and uh, several of them would then write encyclicals back some of them have ended up in our bible and some of them have not uh, for whatever whatever reason all right so i'll read uh chapter two you guys listen along i'm reading from an esv and uh, but it doesn't really matter what version you're, you're reading not not really all right and so away we go colossians chapter two for i want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea 
and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, moored and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the un uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing, by triumphing over them in him. And so therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These are shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. All right. There is a lot there. Okay, guys. So uh, as is our uh, tradition on a, on a literal, just straightforward reading, what jumps out at you? What does, there's something there that, that uh, really uh, resonates with you or is perhaps, perhaps confusing on a literal reading of the text. Linda, sunny Scotland. 
I'm saying, yeah, it is sunny for a change. Um, I, I read this first in the New King James, and then just this afternoon I read it in David Stern's uh, translation, which made it really impacted me. And so just my first gut reaction was, why am I not better than I am? Okay, that's your first gut interest. First interesting reaction. Why am I not better than I am? Yeah, but the other thing is, I noticed in, in you when you were reading that just now, and in David's translation, in verse 8 and verse 20, it says elemental spirits, which it doesn't in my New King James. What, what does it actually mean, elemental spirits? Okay, well, let's, let's appeal to our uh, resident Greek scholar, who also knows a little bit also about the... Um, probably the Greek Greek world and religion. Aria, elemental spirits. What's the actual Greek text? And uh, is, is the, is these, are these words used in, in perhaps uh, other ways in Greek literature? Uh, this goes back to classical Greek philosophy um, and the uh, elemental spirits that Paul is referring to here are in the earliest Greek speculations were associated with the elements. And, and in fact, the word could mean either thing, either the elements themselves or the spirits that they were associated with. Now, do you just mean fire, earth, water, wind, or other things? Well, it, it progressed from that, and it has definitely progressed when we see it here in the New Testament. Um, the Greeks, of course, evolved in their philosophy. Eventually, Democritus evolved the first uh, thesis that there were atoms. Uh, as the smallest indivisible pieces of, of matter. But there is still an association here between the elements on one hand that make up the visible world and spirits that accompany them or, or indwell them. Paul is using it in a slightly probably more advanced uh, sense here. We'll get into it, I guess, probably in the course of the chapter, which is basically the theme of this chapter. I, uh, I found it rather interesting. I was reading the Gospels uh, this week, Mark, Gospel of Mark, actually, and I uh, was reading the, the astounding reaction of the, the disciples on the Sea of Galilee one time in the midst of the huge storm where the Lord was uh, peacefully sleeping, as we recall. And that when they finally roused him in fear of uh, death by storm, he simply said, peace be still. And the... Uh, um, disciples responded by saying, what manner of this that even the wind and the sea obey him? There, it, there seems to be an imputation of consciousness or interaction, uh, not just with the physical element, but with uh, something uh, that in some sort of uh, aware part of creation. Mm -hmm. Well, we've had, we've had this discussion on, I think, many studies. That, that creation is, even from a Hebraic sense, actually some sort of, it has a, it's alive. Creation is groaning for its redemption. The earth is, is sensitive to sin and vomits people out. It, it has reactions. And uh, so you, could, you can see how the disciples would say, well, how does that obey him, right? Is that, uh, that's um, not to say it's a God. Don't, don't put those words in my mouth. Like no one, no one thought that, that it was a God, but anyone knows that, you know, if you don't water a plant, it dies. You know, they're living. Um, but uh, there, yeah, there is something there. But the Greeks obviously have a, a much more developed 
probably um, uh, philosophy slash religious view on the uh, the elements as being um, divine or at least semi-divine, right? In, in, yes, in Paul's usage here, this is parallel to Galatians, I believe, chapter four. It's, this is definitely negative here, of course. He's reproving them for being subject to these spirits that are associated with keeping rules. So uh, given that even its religion is mentioned alongside of all of this, I kind of think of it in this context as Paul referring to a religious, religious spirit. Okay. All right, any other uh, comments? We've got the why am I not better than I am? And uh, this, this, who are these religious elements? Um, I was going to say that um, what struck me was how many people today worship angels. And this is okay. mentioned in the text. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, isn't it interesting that the idea of uh, angel worship is, has been around for a very long time. And what does it really mean to worship an angel? Often when angels appear in the text, uh, people bow down to them and they say, don't worship me. No, don't do that. I'm just like you. Okay? So there's a, there is this um, probably something within us that when a divine uh, encounter occurs, our first reaction is to uh, submit to it, you know, whether that's positive or negative. It's interesting thought. Well, for me, I read this, I saw that uh, Paul, well, he doesn't actually name the accusers. And he doesn't really flesh out the real issue. Okay, we have to make inferences from what he said. We can probably get some pretty good ideas. But he doesn't actually give you the, 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 the who are the antagonists. And so, um, obviously, things like the elemental spirits are from a Greek side of, of issues but then there's also other people other voices that are coming in as well like uh new moons and sabbaths which is not a greek concept it's a jewish concept so there are two streams of uh of of um opponents to paul in this it's not simply that there's just one there's actually a, a plethora of them uh kate also sunny scotland which apparently it's definitely sunny now it is, you can see through my window. Right, that's um, three for three. That's never going to happen again. <laughs> um, in verse eight, it, the, the thing that leapt out at me when you were reading it, because I'm, I, you, at the moment, I, you become more aware sometimes of the world around you and how bad it's becoming. And um, he says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according <clears throat> to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. And I see this going on time and time again. And, and it, it's quite dispiriting sometimes, you know, we need to be raised and perhaps this is what Paul is trying to do. The same things would have been happening in his time. Um, There's nothing new under the sun, the wise yeah, man once said. They would have been influenced just... by others. And, and it's, it's, it lowers the spirit and what he's saying ignore that it's god that we're looking to yeah for those that were we were when we were studying amos we read an ancient text and boy did it have resonance in today's world and here we are reading greek text and it's got resonance in today's world you know they're both both prophet and apostle 
still speak. And you would think that as humans, we would learn, but somehow we just, we just don't. And yeah, and here we are. And so, yes, on one hand, we can look around the world and get in despair. And I guess sometimes that sense of despair is because we have a love for the world as God does. And we would like it to be good. And we would like it to be obedient. And we would like it to be the way he wants it to be. And it's not. So we get disappointed on his behalf. Um, but at the same time, um, that's also the challenge. Challenge accepted. It's up to us, right, to go out and, uh, and share the gospel. Remember that um, last week we had Ascension Day. And what is the, the message? Jesus turns around and says, now you will go be my witnesses. Not me, okay? I'm going, but you will be my witnesses. You bunch of humans that I've been hanging out with for a while. You'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And, uh, and so there's a, a, a commission, a calling, and something that we actually have to physically go out and do. And, to, and we can do it. Um, otherwise, uh, if we couldn't do it, then that would make the command of the Ascension Day completely superfluous. Right? Um, because we get this incredible, powerful gift, the, the Holy Spirit, to assist. All right, let's delve into the text, guys. So now, first, first sentence. So Paul says that he has, uh, he, he himself is having some sort of inward burden or struggle. And uh, not just for the people in Colossians, but also for the neighboring uh, community at Laodicea, who apparently have been um, working together in some fashion. Now, Paul has not met either of these communities, as he says, um, uh, that I got a burden for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Um, most likely, if he's writing this in house arrest, he's nowhere near. Um, Asia Minor. He's actually across the pond uh, in Rome, and um, but but he he has uh, he's heard uh, most likely from Epaphras, who has given him a report. Exactly what Epaphras may or may not have said, we don't know, but it seems to have uh, caused a burden and also some sort of encouragement to to Paul to know that there are some um, believers and brothers and sisters in places he's never met. And uh, but there's an issue that he feels compelled to to correct. Uh, hence the the epistle. So he has this inward struggle for uh, community, and he's actually going to write to um, to Laodicea as well. Okay, we're going to get that right at the end of Colossians. We're going to get the uh, the the suggestion or the urging. Paul's going to say, now make sure you share what I've shared with you to the Laodiceans and make sure that they, that they give you the letter I've got uh, given to them. I mean, the, uh, the Laodiceans obviously read Colossians and kept it, and the Colossians read the letter to Laodiceans and burnt it. No, that's probably not true. But um, something happened that uh, the, the letter that we, we have, we do not have to, to the Laodiceans, never made it into the text. All right. Paul wants their hearts to be encouraged, right? And uh, he wants them, not souls, not, you know, not faith, okay? Uh, there is, you know, there's a, a real resonance for, for heart, particularly in Hebrew thought, right? Write these laws upon your heart, circumcise your heart. Hearts are always where the intention is. And um, 
so that you can be encouraged. He wants, he wants this community not to suffer or in despair, to be encouraged, being knit together so that we'll actually have some sort of sense of unity in, in what? Love. Love is not an emotion. Right? We've mentioned this before. Love's an action. Love is something you do, something you actually put into practice. So he wants this community to, uh, to, to actually engage in already right conduct because you want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. But part of that right conduct is the engaging of, uh, of the aspect of love. Um, why? This is an interesting thought. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery. Well, what's the most mysterious thing about God? The Trinity, okay? <laughs> and uh, so for any, anybody who's a preacher, um, everyone who's a preacher is so thankful that Trinity Sunday only comes around once a year, okay? Because um, once you're assigned to preach on Trinity Sunday, you just start to panic because you don't know what to say, okay? You basically start your sermon like this. Talking about the Trinity is not rocket science. It's worse, Okay, because okay. uh, I, I can get a man to the moon. I just can't tell you the nature of God. <laughs> okay, it's this incredible mystery. But that's where we want to get to, right? The, this, you know, you, there's this full assurance uh, of understanding and knowledge of the mystery that is indeed the Messiah, that God so loved the world that he would actually send himself in some fashion, in just a way we have no way of, uh, of trying to, to describe. Um, and in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, that's an interesting thought. Why is it hidden? Why is it not open? Or perhaps it is open, but we might not see it as, as, as perhaps we think. But it's an interesting, for me, this is an interesting thing, an interesting sentence for Paul to say. Now, I'm, I'm going to go with Peter on this one. Some things that Paul says are really confusing. Um, and, uh, okay, but here we go. Let's try and unpack it. Vida or David first? Oh, just a quick question. Because it, it says here, I think it's the scripture says, unto you it is given to know all the mysteries of the kingdom. And I think if, if we understand it correctly, we can only we have to be born again to see the kingdom. So unless we have the spirit of God, we are, we are a new birth. All of this beauty of who Lord Jesus is, what he did for us, the redemption, is, is, is foolishness, if that makes any sense. Absolutely, because, you know, you and I, when we talk about God and Jesus, we have a certain language and the same spirit. We kind of know what we're all saying. And we have an agreement and we have a fellowship and we, we kind of read these texts and love it. But then we get someone who has no knowledge of this and they just think that we're crazy. Right? And uh, they just go, nope, sorry, I don't get it. How did you get from um, God being making the world to God coming down and dying? No, can't see it. That's just, that's just uh, insane. And, um, and, and, and Paul had already said this, okay? It's a stumbling block for Jews, but my gosh, it's foolishness to, to the Gentiles, right? They just think this is just nuts. Um, and, they, and unfortunately, they still do. 
Um, and yet, isn't it a treasure when the Holy Spirit does open their eyes? And then six months ago, they disagreed with you. And then all of a sudden today, they agree with you with such a passion that they uh, 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 are on fire. And, um, and we have a couple of uh, young seekers who are in exactly that position that, um, that, that they didn't see it six months ago. And today they very much do. And um, they, they, really, they really do see it our way, which is just incredible. REA, sunny Jerusalem. And I know for a fact, I'm four for four now, that's definitely sunny. There, these things are hidden, uh, as Paul states, but they're also intended to be revealed. But it is intended to be revealed through desire and effort and time. God doesn't drop all of these treasures on us uh, all at once because they wouldn't help us. We're not ready for them. But as we learn something and apply it, we want more and God gives us more. And the, the imagery biblically is also of a newborn baby with milk to start with, finally meat, full meals, a repast. Mm -hmm. what's, the, what's the passage in the Gospels where Jesus says, I would like to explain this, but you can't, can't bear it right now? Yes, it's, it's, it's a it's progressive that? revelation. It's in John before he was crucified in his long, long soliloquy, one of those chapters, maybe 15, 16, not 15, maybe 16. Don't quote me, but it's in there. <laughs> And uh, clearly, even at that advanced stage of his ministry, his disciples were still not ready for the whole nine yards. And in fact, even during the 40 days of his resurrection, when he was giving them the advanced Bible studies, there were still things that were left. If we look, for example, at Peter's sermons throughout the first five books of Acts, they had no idea what actually God thought of had happened on the cross of Christ. They, he was just preaching it as a sin of the people they needed to repent from. In fact, Peter probably learned from Paul a few years later when Paul came, finally came to Jerusalem. So even they were continuing to receive revelation from these mysteries and, and uh, the depth of the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. And in fact, that's why we're all here tonight as well. I mean, we're, most of us have been in the faith for a long time and we're still, we're still grappling and learning. Yeah, yes, we are. Uh, when we studied the book of Acts, Acts of the, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, Jesus chapter one, Acts says, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. And then it takes several outbreaks of persecution to finally move the disciples out of Jerusalem. And you, you scratch your head and you go, what, really? You can't just go? Uh, but, you know, we suffer the same problem. <laughs> but uh, but it, it's also nice to know that uh, it's just as, just as fallible as, as we are. But, yes, it's a mystery. It's hidden. But it is intended to be revealed. If and I could add, it's also clearly implied by the Greek word mysterion, which is we've adopted into many languages. It is something that is hidden, but is intended to be known. I mean, think of our mystery uh, mystery novels or our mystery movies. We all know that we're going to learn in the end who did it, right? It's, yeah. the, it's the journey and the learning and the growing and the final revelation that, that make it all worthwhile. So if I look up uh, the concordance mysterion, it's going to say, it's going to tell me that this is intended to be revealed? It should. Okay. Uh, if, if Mine I does. Find out. Okay, good. <laughs> I'll text you for the notes. <laughs> All right. Kate, Scotland. 
Sunny as well. I, I was just wondering, and and again, it's the first thing that hit me when I was when you when you read it and when I read it again, is that this idea of we don't have the knowledge, the knowledge isn't revealed. It took me back to Genesis and and eating of the apple, the tree of knowledge. We weren't meant to have knowledge at that time. This is it's knowledge is a big thing in in our set of beliefs, and this is going back to the to the first book of the Bible is the tree of knowledge and and it was a sin to, to eat the apple now yep. it that that just struck me and I was I was trying to work it out as I put my hand up but anyway that that's yep. what we do here is we we say what we think that we do and in terms you know, now I'm responding also doing the same thing in terms of knowledge um there's a the 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 Hebrew Bible teaches us to distinguish between good and evil, make distinctions between sacred, profane, clean and unclean, good and evil. And uh, we live in a world that just can't do that anymore. Uh, you just cannot make a distinction between good and evil. And um, in fact, it's, we're now in a stage where um, we've thrown knowledge out the window. I mean, not all of us, of course, but, uh, but uh, you know, uh, there's this scientific subject called biology, but, you know, you can't say the truth of biology anymore. Somehow, you know, the terms follow the science, just not that science. Um, and that's um, really quite strange. But here, uh, you know, Paul, Paul has it in the, in the previous chapter, you know, look for knowledge, have spiritual wisdom, right? And uh, gain some understanding. And that's good. Why? Because then you'll start putting it into practice. And, uh, and that's going to lead us into a walk that is worthy of, uh, of the Lord. All right, so we have this mystery, this, this thing that's meant to be revealed, which is the Messiah. And, uh, and, and in him are treasures of wisdom and knowledge, right? This, uh, the things that he reveals and teaches and then has instructed us to teach, right? He says, go into all the world, baptize people. But that didn't just baptize them, let them sit under trees baptize them and you teach them right everything that i've commanded you teach them to obey everything i've commanded basically put into practice what the, the messiah teaches don't just listen to it and uh, and have a good feeling in your ears but actually physically um, have the, the passion and the desire to actually get out and put it into practice uh, which is what paul has been saying be knit together in love Right, have some sort of physical uh, uh, unity that's actually practical. Um, maybe there was some tension uh, in the community that was stopping them from doing this. So he, he, he admonishes them on that. I'm not sure. So, uh, but here he says, he's talking about this mystery, this, this, these understandings, these words that he's using. He says, he says this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments doesn't describe what those plausible arguments are, but he's probably had a report from Epaphras saying, look, other people are coming in and they're teaching this and I can't seem to, I'm not equipped to be able to, to deal with it. And the community doesn't seem to know which way to go. Um, but so he gives them this warning that, uh, that, that it's plausible. Well, something that sounds reasonable could actually be a delusion. Um, and this makes me personally think of uh, uh, the delusion that's coming. And he's talked about this in, in, in his other, some of his other epistles, that there's something coming that is so plausible 
but so false, but so powerful that it uh, it is a it is a very deceiving deceiving spirit and may even deceive some of the elect. Uh, so uh, uh, he uh, he says, look, look, I'm I'm absent in the body, so I'm not physically there yet. I am with you in spirit, that uh, I am with you, that I am part of your community, even though I've actually never been there. And my desire is that, that you don't fall uh, victims to these things. Um, uh, rejoicing in your good order, you know, so that uh, uh, one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. So communities, um, uh, communities, need to experience some sort of good order um, communities that are out of control that's actually a warning sign uh, uh rudy you're asking which chapter we're in we're in colossians chapter two thanks for joining good to see you all right um and the firmness of your faith in the messiah so your good order is always rooted. The who is the foundation? The foundation is uh, our faith in the Messiah. But faith is also not just a belief. It's also something you put into practice. And that practice ends up being uh, uh, an ordered community. Right? You see how the, the layers are, are set up? Um, it's, uh, it, fruit is something you see. The fruit of the spirit are not esoteric Thoughts, the physical things you see, joy, peace, self-control, patience, physically see them. All right. So verse, uh, uh, the next one, verse, therefore, as you have received Jesus the Messiah, so walk in him. Classic Jewish. It's Greek, yes, but it's Jewish thought. When you think walk, what's the word you think of? Halacha, right? That is, um, you have received the Messiah. You've, you've had faith. He's actually uh, part of you in some, again, a mysterious way. Holy Spirit is there. That doesn't mean you just sit down uh, around a tree and philosophize. Okay? You might do that a few times, you know, and, and study some more, but you physically have to get up and actually walk out a living faith that's practical, which would, of course, mean casting off the old man. What does that esoteric word mean? That means not doing the things you did before, okay, which usually goes along uh, with all the bad stuff. Uh, Vida or David? It's just a quick question. It's just to understand the Greek on this on, on verse 6, because I can read it two ways, and I, I'm not sure which is, and I think you, I can see them both correct, but the first way is, as you've therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So it's like I've received Christ by faith, so just continue in faith. Just everything now is just build up the uh, sanctification through faith and we're we're working with God. Faith. Or is it as you have um, received Christ Jesus now because he now lives in me and I must do what he's doing. And, and follow his example. So it was just, I, I know we can apply both to, to yeah. understand. <laughs> but I was just really intrigued, is the Greek has a nuance on, on a, a more certain understanding of this verse? Aria. Sorry, Aria. <laughs> well, my first reaction before Aria jumps in, gives you a minute or two to think about it, is of course exactly what you said, Vida. It's both. 
both, it, yeah. It, 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 at the end of the day, if, if, if Jesus himself has said, words of Jesus in red, Matthew 28, right? Um, now go and teach them to obey. Then there's yeah. something going on there. And I, I can, I see, for me, I see that also just leap out in, in this classic Pauline Hebraic uh, uh, thought. Receive the Messiah, believe in him. Now do, do this. Right? But, but, but also there's like a warning. Don't do it as becoming works. Right. It's all done in faith. Correct. Because you salvation through faith, so continue it through faith. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So on, on to REA. So in, in terms of the actual Greek syntax. Um, uh, I understand this to be saying walk in Christ because he is the immediate antecedent to auto, meaning to him or in him. And there is no other uh, plausible antecedent here to apply that it to. Uh, if we wanted to say it was the process of receiving him that we now need to walk in, I don't see that in the text. Right. It seems to me a beautiful um, exhortation to walk in Christ. This concept of being in Christ, of course, being very Pauline in uh, several other contexts that we're aware of. Thank you. Joy Rousey, Sunny Count, Canada. Verse 6 reads in David Stern's translation, Therefore, just as you receive the Messiah Yeshua as Lord, keep living your life united with him. Okay. So it's a so there's for for for, for the Stearns translation and and also for following probably um, some of the commandments of Jesus in the Gospels. There's a definite outworking of faith in the community, living in unity. Yeah. So thank you, uh, Vitek from uh, Sunny Czech Republic, uh, typed in chat. Self-control is important for our work. Absolutely, brother. It's also mentioned, uh, Paul also mentions it by Paul. Yes, he does uh, in Galatians and also Acts. When he speaks with Felix, that's the governor, probably this is probably his one of his trials uh, towards the end. Uh, Acts 24, 25. As he reasoned about righteousness and self-control, okay, now talking to a Roman about self-control, you are going to get into trouble. Okay, um, and the coming judgment, also going to get into trouble. Uh, Felix was alarmed, of course, and said, go away for the present, right? I just can't handle uh, the conclusions that I'm being drawn into um, from, from, your, from your challenge. And uh, so Paul, you know, really gave this Roman what for? Um, by by mentioning righteousness and uh, and self control, not we probably don't get the whole argument, but it's nice the way it's it's written there by by Luke. Thanks, Vitek. All right, so we we are we receive the Messiah, we walk in Him in the Messiah. That's not just alone; we are with a group. Hence, I think why um, uh, Stern you know, uh, talked about being united together because because Paul has also mentioned that. As the community in Colossians he wants them to be to be um, knit together, uh, rooted and, and and built up in Him, and established in the faith. Now, how do you get established in the faith? Um, it's, it's not a, a a grade. It's not that you go right. Well, I've had uh, six months of um, Bible college, 
I've, I've actually managed to submit three essays and pass uh, two, two, two quizzes. So I am now cemented in the faith because I've got the diploma on the wall. Um, each of us is going to look a little differently in that. Right? Um, but each of us needs to know when we feel that we've been established in the faith. Some of us uh, might take a little bit longer than, than others. And um, just as you were taught, who taught them? Guy we don't know anything about, right? Epaphras. What were they taught? Well, we assume the good news. What exactly is the good news? Just remember, Epaphras has heard the message of Jesus the Messiah. He's embraced it and he's gone and shared it. And so he's obviously gone back to Paul and uh, talked to him. And Paul probably asked, what did you tell him? Like, you know, what, what did you actually say to these guys? And uh, Epiphras would say, well, I showed up, I did this. Maybe I did a miracle, you know, healed a few people. My shadow did some stuff just like Peter. I mean, who really knows? And, um, but I didn't just do it in Colossians. I did it in Laodicea. You know, I've done it around a whole bunch of little villages. This is the type of community that's there now. And Paul's like, that's fantastic. Yes, but look at the problem that I've got now. Other people have come in. Other people have gotten jealous. Other people have come in and, and, and debated me and argued with me. And I don't really know how to, to, to stop that. Can you help? And Paul, of course, feels that he has a burden for these, these brothers and sisters that he's never met and, uh, and then joins in. Perhaps we're supposed to have the same passion right? uh, for people that we've, that we've never met. So uh, they were taught, and they are abounding, and, and he is now also abounding in thanksgiving. And he, uh, he is just thankful that, uh, that, that they're believers. He's thankful for their faith. They all should also be thankful for their faith uh, in the Messiah. So, again, the warning continues. Don't get taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit, right? According human tradition right? uh, and, uh, and, uh, and also according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So there's a bunch of different things that, that flow out there. Some of them are connected, some of them are interwoven. Um, elemental spirits is um, this, as we've, we've talked, this sort of Greek, very old Greek religious slash philosophical idea that um, that material matter, the, the visible, was also um, impacted or empowered uh, or had a relationship with the invisible. And so earth, water, fire uh, were, were seen as divine beings. And in some um, of Greek literature, they even have voices and personifications. Um, but so do other concepts like fate and vengeance and things. They also uh, ended up with um, personifications. But these are... Um, the, the spirits of the world. And here's the danger, is uh, some Christianity actually has joined in on this. And, uh, and, and uh, we'll talk about, um, oh, he has a controlling spirit. He has a, right, we'll, we'll turn things and, you know, and, and, and we'll make them um, almost like divine beings um, uh, as well. And uh, we have to be careful with that language. And so we're not going to be taken captive by it. So what does it mean to be taken captive by a philosophy and empty deceit? What do you think? What does that look like for us in the real world? Not that Paul didn't live in the real world, but live in, in, um, in 2023. What's, what's, what's captivating us at the moment? Arie. 
I think Paul Paul is putting his finger on something uh, we associate in these days with our new phrase from recent years called fake news. And <laughs> the, okay. the implication here and the truth of it is one little deception leads to a bigger one, leads to a bigger one. And the process at some point takes us captive and we can hardly, if at all, recover ourselves from it. It, it seems to me that this issue of deception is underappreciated and it is rampant within the professing church as well. I, I've seen it widely. It's Jesus warns us explicitly at the end of the age to watch out that we're not deceived. It's perhaps the greatest peril of our age. It's going on right now. What is what is one of the attributes? One is, is that one of the major attributes of the enemy? He's the father of lies and deceit. Yeah, and uh, it seems to be his um, strongest power. Um, you know, um, he has such a a guiling tongue. But yes, it's good. They start off small, little, philosophical, but they're empty. They're actually false. They seemed good, and then they led to something bigger, and and uh, and then you just were captivated. We can't get out. We we have we've dug ourselves a hole, and we think we can't get out. That's I think is also a lie, right? You think you can't get out of this, which is actually not true. All right, Velma. Uh, funny we were talking about this this morning in our quiet time. Hi, people now subtly captivated with yoga uh getting the chakra fixed at the beauty parlor buying crystals you know you go into a gift shop now buy this crystal and this will happen and people actually put more faith in this crystal than what they do in the creator god and it's prevalent everywhere yep unfortunately sad but true and, uh, and so we're warned against it. And so brothers and sisters, we have the warnings right in front. So let's continue to, to encourage each other to not partake in this deception. And when we see each other falling for it, remember, it's the little deceptions that start first. That's when you come in and say, hey, uh, you know, I think there's a problem here. All right. Uh, Vida or David? Aaron, it's me. Uh, I was just thinking, something has been troubling me greatly. I've been watching all the, the big leaders of the big churches, if you like, they seem to be in the, under the impression that they can change the ways of the law to suit what they would think is a better situation and rather to suit the world rather than the, rather than the Lord's ways. So in a sense, they are acting in, in this position of vain deceit. So because they believe that they know better. Yeah, and then they try and educate us. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, let me tell you, Aaron, where you're wrong, and uh, we'll have a great discussion. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's here. The, uh, the, the enemy hasn't changed his ways, and, uh, but they're here. So you have to be on guard. And, um, uh, and we have to make sure that we, because these things that are, that are, that are coming at us, this, this fake news, is not in accordance with the Messiah. That's the litmus test, of course. That's the thing that we need to hold everything up to. And even saying that 
okay, can easily be twisted. So Jesus sets us free. So what is freedom? Then comes in the little deceit. Well, you know, liberation theology. You need to be free from all oppressors. Anyone who's oppressing you is obviously evil. So, you know, that could be the church. That could be Pastor Aaron. That could be, you know, who, just anybody telling you what not to do. Um, that could be the, the evil occupier. You know? um, before you know it, uh, you've turned Jesus into a communist revolutionary. And, um, and that's not true. He came to set us free while he was under occupation. <laughs> right um and and and, uh, and his message superseded that kind of stuff I mean, he was like i will set you free at the same time you can go and save the roman soldier too in fact you'll get there acts chapter 10 the romans will start getting saved um which is, which is really good news but uh so we have to make sure that we keep to the the pure teachings of the, of the messiah and uh, and for in him that is the the whole fullness of the deity dwells this is a nice little uh, uh, divine, uh, divine statement of Jesus, right? Okay, this, um, in him dwells the entire, uh, uh, entire deity bodily, right? which is just, again, that mystery. How does that happen? I don't know, but it did, does, right? But it's one of those mysteries of the Messiah. And you have been filled in him who is the head of, of all rule and authority. And uh, sometimes in our prayers, uh, for those that go to liturgical churches, some of our prayers, you know, uh, uh, we'll say that Christ is the, the head of all kings and rulers. And uh, often I stop doing liturgy and I say, I wish all of the presidents would, would know this statement to be true. And, uh, they might be ruling a country, but there's someone actually above them. And uh, for those that come to Israel, and travel around uh, ancient churches, particularly the Greek or Catholic ones, um, you will always see right in the middle dome, guess who's sitting in the middle above absolutely everything else that's in that church? Giant picture of Jesus. Okay, And um, for we might have lots of things to say about Catholics or Greek Orthodox or whatever, but they actually always put Jesus at the top. Okay. Uh, and in him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. This is good news, particularly for uh, Gentiles who he's been talking to. Okay, this might have even been one of the issues that have, that have been coming up. It was one of what was one of the issues uh, right there in Acts, and it seems to have continued to to be one. Um, putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, this sort of circumcision of the heart, this uh, the whole idea of becoming a new person, being part of the covenant, which is all these signs of, of circumcision, that um, believing in the Messiah is, is the being part of the new covenant. Having been buried with him in baptism, you know, these are very, very, um, these are philosophical phrases, right? It's just, um, and... Uh, uh, so we're buried with him in baptism and then raised with him through faith, and, uh, which is you know, very, very poetic, beautiful, but also um, true, but also philosophical language um, in the powerful working of God. And I always like that, that little tack there at the end. You know, God did it, right? This is not, you didn't do it. You couldn't do this by yourselves. It's got nothing to do with your personal. Um, I, I believe in Jesus, and so therefore uh, I've saved myself. It's, uh, this is the, the, the God raising uh, him from the dead. 
It was him. He raised him from the dead. And you, okay, this is a nice phrase by Paul, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Uh, every now and again, he just reminds, you know, you know, you were Gentiles. Remember that? And, um, and prior to your faith in Jesus, guess what you did? You were worshipping idols. And you were so far removed from the truth, but, but now you're not. And uh, um, uh, so he, he doesn't pull punches here. Right? He, he lets people know, you know, you were a sinner. And, um, and he, because he's mentioned these, these types of phrases in places like Galatians, where he was talking to, to Peter. We're not Gentile sinners, you know. So why, why are you saying such a nasty thing about people? It's just, look, it's, a, it's the truth. You know, if you don't have God... Guess who you are, right? Um, if, if, if Jesus isn't king of your, of your life, guess who is, right? You know, there's, uh, there's, there's, there's a, um, things that this, this actually should motivate us to go out and share the gospel. It, should, it, it certainly shouldn't uh, keep us in a, uh, in a uh, uh, it shouldn't keep us in a, in a mode of just saying, well, the Lord loves everybody. For God so loved the world that he's just not going to kill anyone, right? For God so loved the world, he'll never flood the world again. He said so. So we're all okay. Um, whereas uh, that's never been the message of the prophets. And it actually hasn't been the message of Jesus either. Otherwise, why go into all the world if all the world's okay? There is this, there's this, we've got, there is this darkness that enshr enshrouds the nations. There is these, there's something behind these elemental spirits. There's something behind these idols and the light We'll set it all free. So away we go. And uh, um, now, and we'll be made alive. Why? Because we'll be forgiven. There's a forgiveness of sins, um, which is, as we know, right from the beginning, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins for many. Right. So we get the cancelling of the record of debt. There is this uh, concept Within, uh, within in Jewish tradition um, prior to the New Testament that um, we all had a debt to God, right? And that was actually a phrase they would talk about it, debt. And so you actually see it is in, in some of the Gospels, you know, forgive us our debt. And uh, the sort of idea that, uh, you know, how am I going to get rid of this debt? I, I, it's just too big a debt. And, uh, and then the Messiah comes, pays the debt. Aria. Sorry to comment, actually, but this, this word debt is a total addition to the text. Oh, it really uh, isn't. You're saying it's, it's not there? It, there? The translator is adding a commentary here in which the dogma here is a decree by a ruler that's been written down. Now, the, the question is, what is exactly the content of the decree? And... Um, without perhaps trying to get too involved in what actually happened on the cross of Christ, the, the natural context here, if you ask me and the, the lexical sources I have is that this is a decree or a regulation. Uh, Paul seems to me at least to be saying that the handwriting of the regulations that were nailed was nailed to the cross and left there. Uh, it, accords with Paul's doctrine of not being under the law anymore. And in fact, his, his continuation here is of all the different uh, little laws and uh, constraints and constrictions that we don't need to pay attention to anymore. He, in, in my mind, he's saying 
that the commandments have been nailed to the cross. I think the word commandment appears later in this chapter as well. So in terms of like, can someone read uh, uh, a different version from the ESV for verse 14? Read it from the complete Jewish Bible? Go for it. Okay, because I think um, it's almost word for word what Ariel just said. So verse 14, he wiped away the bill of charges against us because of the regulations. It stood as a testimony against us, but he removed it by nailing it to the execution stake. Right, the, the list of charges that were against us. Okay, interesting. All right, there you go. Always good to have other versions as opposed to just... Uh, 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 things like one of the things that the ESV doesn't do is when it adds words, it doesn't put them in italics. That's one of the benefits of uh, having a King James or a New King James. Um, whenever they add words, they often will put it up so that, that you know as a reader, ah, that's actually not really there in the text. So that's good. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Joy. Lisa from Sweden. Uh, yeah, there's a commentary about the. Do you hear me? Yep. You can hear me? Yes, we can. Yes. Okay. About the Hebrew Bible translation, I have now, I'm reading from a Swedish trans translation Bible, and there are many good commentaries also in it. So I also had the King James uh, uh, Bible also. But then I see that in my Swedish translation, uh, we it's very close to the Hebrew. Uh, uh, on verse uh, 14, you were reading um, uh, about this, uh, we call Swedish, skuldebrevet, <laughs> this letter of, it's delete, <laughs> uh, it wiped out. Thank you. Uh, Walfred. Oh, sorry. Um, I'm just wondering if anyone else sees the connection here between the crucifixion of Christ and and the uh, writing that was nailed to the cross. You know, this is the King of the Jews. Um, that that there was there's always a a, a charge nailed to the cross, and yeah. this talks about a handwriting in the decrees, a, a, a something written that is then being taken away, nailing it to the cross. No, it's because the I find the next sentence, which links into this one. Okay, how does this um, wiping away of the charges disarm rulers and principalities? What is it? What power did these rulers and authorities think that they had? Strength of sin is the law. There you go. Okay, what else, guys? And they probably thought they were gods. Uh, sorry, who, what? Oh, you mean the rulers and authorities? Yeah, but they saw what? themselves as all omnip omnipotent. Yeah, maybe. But even if they didn't, then um, they seem to have or thought that they had and apparently did have some sort of uh, or, uh, power or authority or delusion or um, ability to control people. Uh, Dawn? Blackmail. A blackmail. And uh, yeah, the enemy's blackmailing us. Um, you did this and uh, you're just bad. And because you're bad, you have to do what I say now. And, uh, or you just got to keep doing bad. 
because you know, you'll never be good. You know, all these kinds of lies. And then this little deception just keeps going into a big deception. And before you know it, you can't get out. And then uh, Paul comes on and says, nope, he's, he's, uh, he's taken that power away from them. They don't have that power over you anymore. And uh, it was actually quite powerful when you think about it. Kate? Yeah, I was just, I was, I've been reading it through and through. And I read the New King James Version. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So he's taken it out of the way. It's, it's no longer there. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, yeah. triumphing over them in it. Well, at, on the cross, when Jesus died, he overcame death. To me, that's the most powerful thing that he nailed. The most powerful thing ever. And we all understand the depth of that. So Paul perhaps isn't saying it, but that's what came to me when I was reading it. He, he overcame and, and he triumphed over them in it. And, and we knew that he could. The, the, I can't remember which epistle it says. Ari, you can remind me. We studied it once in your, in your house. Um, that if the principalities and powers knew what would have happened, they would never have uh, killed him. Is First that... Corinthians 2. Okay, yeah. So they said, like, you know, if after the resurrection, after the fact that they've suddenly realized, you know, what they've done, they go, oh, my gosh, if we knew this was going to happen, we would have just let him leave him in Galilee, you know? We wouldn't that, have that's what nothing. I was leading to, but I wasn't. We probably would have helped him. He said, hey, yeah. you know. You're really good with bread and fish, you know. But how about I get you some venison? But do 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 another really cool one. Um, but uh, but instead, by coming out in opposition to him, they actually played into his hands, right? And uh, and then you ended up um, uh, the death is defeated, the enemy is broken, their power is broken, and he is they they are disarmed. So truth conquers lie. If that's the power of the enemy, if it's his deception, and the truth sets us free, then they have no power all of a sudden. That's it. Um, and so just keep, yes, exactly, just keep speaking the truth. We live in a, in a society, a world which doesn't recognize truth, can't decide what truth is, believes that there are multiple truths uh, or no truth. And, um, and that's all wrong. So you just need to calmly honestly diligently keep speaking the truth and uh, eventually uh, you'll win people because there's people who need to hear the truth and uh, for those of us who live in israel we're we're always blessed by by hearing reports of more brothers and sisters uh, coming to faith both in the jewish and in the arab world which is very good news here all right so no one is to pass judgment. Now I think he also has a little discussion on uh, some of his, perhaps some Jewish antagonists that he may have, may have heard of before. No one passed judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festivals, new moons, or a Sabbath. Now that can actually be read in two ways. What are the two ways you can read it? Let no one pass judgment on you in regards of a Sabbath. What, is, how, what are the two ways of regarding meaning that? Keeping it or not keeping. Correct. So no one can pass judgment on me if I really enjoy the Sabbath, and I do, and my family does. And you can't pass judgment on me for saying, Aaron, you shouldn't do that. 
Okay? But at the same time, you can't go up to people who don't and go, look, you don't keep the Sabbath. That's terrible. You're off to hell, son. There are blessings in these things. And so you should just, so there's two ways to read this. Okay, so you shouldn't just dismiss it because that's actually would be a poor reading. And uh, uh, in that, so we've got some, he's got some antagonists. We've seen them, seen them before. So he's had his Greek guys that are giving uh, the Greek philosophy, but there's also so what we might call the Judaizers or the circumcision party or that, that sort of group of people uh, as well. Uh, these are shadows of things. So they're, they're not evil in and of themselves, okay, but they're shadows, right? The, the, the Sabbath is a millennial Sabbath that's coming, right? Um, which, uh, which, is, which is going to be Passover. There's the Feast of the Lamb that's, that's coming, right? Yeah, these, these, these things are, are, there's great things, these, these great things that are coming. And they're shadows of things. But the substance, well, it all, all pointed to the Messiah. He was the telos, the goal. Of, uh, of the Torah, they all they all belong to him. He's the one that uh, sustains that sustains it all. So if you happen to have the the enjoy Shabbat, you're enjoying the Shabbat with the Messiah, right? Etc. Etc. Otherwise, phrases like "keep the feast" in Corinthians, well, that's a rather silly thing to say if we've just told us that we're not supposed to. So, Aria. The, the geometry that's it, it, invoked here is interesting. Uh, he says that these things uh, listed in the law are the shadow. Christ is the body. He's implying that uh, Christ is casting this shadow. And uh, shadow, by definition, is the absence of light. He, he is standing in the light. He's hiding. He's obscuring the light from some area, which is his shadow. And uh, those in my view, and I think Paul's here, who are meticulously following and looking at the, uh, the list of rules that they need to keep to be good whoever's, are actually dealing with darkness. Right, the ones who would be trying to work towards salvation, as opposed to just being called to good works. Okay, so Ephesians 2, right? It's uh, you are, uh, by grace, we are saved through faith, not by works, to do good works, right? So, so um, the, the, yeah, the, the doing the work never got you the, the faith, but having the faith prompted you to do a good work, which, by the way, God had prepared for you to do in advance. Uh, always like that little one there, that tacked on at the end there in, in Ephesians. Um, so, let no one disqualify you, insisting on, and this is this is where we sort of blend a bit of uh, of the Greek mythology again, um, asceticism, because um, uh, there, there were there actually have been quite a few Greek philosophies that that sort of required uh, a, a very high form of self control and self denial, but there was also some of that in Judaism too, right? Um, but, uh, but he, and there's also this thing called the worship of angels. Where they come from, um, uh, I don't know. So it doesn't sort of appear in, uh, in, in, in Hebrew, but you had the worship of idols. Um, but why, why this particular thing of angelic worship? I'm not sure. There was a strong, uh, strong discussion in the Second Temple period that angels were real. They would actually visit you. You could actually have uh, they could they could accompany them, 
And then there were the discussions, as we saw in Testament of Abraham, angels don't actually eat. They're around, yes, but they don't really partake. Uh, and there was the, so there were streams of, of different streams of how inter angels interact with each other. Um, uh, but then I find this one interesting, going on in detail about visions, okay, which, um, which you can see quite a few people in our modern world uh, still do, uh, both well-meaning as well. And, um, and then, of course, this idea of a sensuous mind, um, the lusts uh, of the flesh. Uh, instead, what we have to hold on to um, is, is the Messiah. And then again, being knit together using a discussion, a, a, an imagery of, of um, a body uh, that grows, but it grows out from something, grows out from, from, from God. So the, the, the ending of this section, we have a few more minutes, details the idea of having died, which was in our baptism, to the elemental spirits. They are not something that we believe in. They're not something that we pay attention to. They're not something that we actually um, spend some time contemplating on. And um, so that, that should have happened. So then he asks, um, why do you now submit to regulations? And um, these sort of, uh, uh, what sort of rules? Don't handle, don't touch, don't, don't, don't taste. Uh, this could be refer to um, some Jewish prohibitions. But it could also refer to some um, Gentile prohibitions in the Greek world. There was um, definitely streams of Greek thought that um, pleasure was, uh, was, was evil. You would deny yourself anything worldly because anything worldly was evil. So you wouldn't touch it. You wouldn't eat it because you, you were trying to get to a spiritual high place. Um, that has also appeared in Eastern religions. Okay, there's several Eastern religions which also would, would, would dictate that the world of flesh is just wrong and you need to go higher. And the only way to go higher is to abandon it. Um, or is that actually, that's the anathema of what Jesus says. Jesus says, go out and be a salt and light to the world, not avoid it. Um, you have to go and repair the world, not run away from it. Uh, you're meant to love the world just like God loved the world. And therefore you want to actually be in it. Um, as opposed to running away all the time. So uh, uh, here, he, he, this, could be, this could be referring to both um, a form of um, asceticism, which can appear in both uh, the, the Jewish world, which Paul would be familiar with, but also the Greek world. And as a Hellenistic Jew, he's familiar with that as well. And uh, these are human precepts and teachings. They're, they're decided by the local group and uh, and, the, and, uh, and the, the men and men's traditions, they have an indeed an appearance of wisdom. It might look good, right? You know, um, you know. Don't eat chocolate. Don't drink coffee. Um, I mean, I mean, who says such horrible things? But um, you know, that could be a, a good thing, right? Uh, on one level, right? not too much sugar, not too much caffeine, no heart palpitations. Um, but to what end? Right? Uh, there's a, the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and being severe to the body. So there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, uh, of, of probably fasting and, and, and denying ourselves, which on one hand, it has positive benefits, but here as to, uh, uh, Paul gives a warning, for they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh, which is actually what they were meant to do. 
or what they purport to be able to do. The only thing that can give you self-control is not a yoga class. What is it? It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's that's the the thing. And um, and uh, everything else that like yoga and those self those, those meditation classes and uh, uh, trying to be a better person and then the twelve steps to you know being a successful diplomat or whatever the books are. Um, they they all they end up doing is just diverting our indulgences to something else. We still end up actually being um, indulgent or, or lustful or, or wanting. Maybe not one thing, but end up being uh, something else. So uh, it's uh, the fruit of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that you need. And, um, and uh, so Paul's got quite, he's been talking to his community who have received the faith. So they have some sort of background knowledge of, the, of, of faith. Paul isn't giving them a, a treatise on, uh, you know, this is what Jesus said in the Gospels, just like every one of Paul's epistles, he never actually quotes a Gospel, right? So we're not 100% sure what Epiphas has said, but, and we're not 100% sure what his antagonists are. But we see here that, um, that uh, they're, they're many and they're varied, but who is the central key figure for Paul, it has to be the risen Messiah. It has to be Jesus uh, defeating death. It has to be him overcoming the world. And that includes the physical world and the spiritual world. And, uh, and, then, and then that has to have some outward look on ourselves. The, at the end of the day, remember, it is have a walk worthy of the Lord. That, uh, that somewhere along the line, I'm not going to be indulgent of the flesh, we're actually going to be caring and kind. We're actually not going to try and satisfy ourselves. We're actually going to um, have a, a heart that actually extends to our neighbor and uh, wants to love them and bless them. Uh, so this is, uh, and this is going to be powerful. This community is then going to be attractive and it will eventually grow. I don't know what happened to the Colossians or the Laodiceans. Um, Laodicea does get a mention in Revelation. And uh, uh, might be worth looking at that, but uh, but uh, you know what we can say is that um, is uh, that Paul is concerned so much that he has to write this this letter and remind them that um, that that their asceticism is not uh, a walk worthy of the Lord. Their uh, uh, appeal to false wisdom and uh, and deceits and elemental spirits is not a work worthy worthy of the Lord. Being indulgent in the flesh is not a walk worthy of the Lord. Something else is. And so we'll continue to, to study and try and put that into practice ourselves. Teresa. Yeah, I just wanted very brief to say a very brief comment about when I was studying uh, for my MA in psychotherapy, um, I was very aware that some of the, not all, but some of the psychotherapy models were embracing and on the fringes and probably even much more than on the fringes of various of these things we're talking about. Sufism has got into it, which you know is the mystical form of Islam. And the earth, air, fire, water thing, that was all around and tied up with Jungian stuff, um, uh, Carl Jung. And um, it was it was weird. It was 
there was a lot of stuff, particularly where Sufism was influencing it. I was quite shocked because was, this was very new to me. I hadn't been in this, these sorts of areas. And the deception was so strong because you could read something and for a split second, it seemed okay. And then you realized, no, no, it's, this, is, this is a deception, but it was so close. That's why it's deception, of course. But that is very attractive within some parts of the psychotherapy world. I'm not saying psychoanalysis or psychodynamic stuff, but it is, we should be aware of it because it then links in with the yogas and anything Eastern, oh, that is wonderful. Anything to do with Christianity is, mm, you know, restrictive, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Thanks, Teresa. It's almost like a good summary there. I'm going to just mention a couple of the uh, chat here to, to finish off. Uh, Walford did mention that a shadow is also the portrayal of the shape of the figure it's connected to. Hence, mm. it has a, a positive side to it as well, not only just the absence of light. Um, Tina encourages us, saying that we're actually encouraging to her. It's her third time as a Bible study, and she's enjoying our discussions and helping her uh, understand the scriptures deeper to be a better believer so thanks tina it's great to have you on board and and uh, being a part of our fellowship absolutely fantastic um andrew from sunny south africa uh does go all the way back to the beginning okay um where linda had said you know sometimes i don't always feel that i'm good enough and uh, andrew says you know almost in the words of paul don't let anyone disqualify you Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, good stuff. Fantastic, Andrew. Thanks very much. So, brothers and sisters, uh, have a great uh, Pentecost. Uh, have a good Shavuot. Have a good feast. Have a good Shabbat. And uh, encourage each other. And guys, work, work, walk worthy of the Lord. How, how the world, the world needs it. It's too much trapped in darkness for this kind of stuff. So, excellent, brothers and sisters. Good night. From Jerusalem, blessings.